Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James and I am here with my co-host... Not Nick. I'm Elizabeth. Not Nick. It is Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, yet again... We have a special guest in the studio with us. They're all special children of God. <laughs> we have Michael Devine with us today. Michael, how are you doing? Hello, everybody. Doing well. Good. Good. That's good to hear. Um, how is your spring coming along? Oh, it's been a busy season. I bet it has. Full of pollen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which you that, can hear my voice just a little bit. That is yeah, You can hear it mine, too. Uh, yes. It's the time of year that I just want to bury myself, like in a cave for like three weeks at mm. least, and not, not come out. But, yeah. uh, and we haven't even gotten to the worst part of it yet. I mean, we haven't seen the like the total green cover of cars yet, so usually, it's coming. It happens around Easter. Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> I remember one one uh, one Easter, I usually run the shuttle, right, from, from the synagogue. And I was just sitting there waiting to pick up people, and and it was a beautiful Easter morning. Sun was out, and the sun was shining down through all those pine trees right there. Oh, no. And then this wind came through, <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's just like a cloud of yellow came. Down. I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, happy Easter, everybody. <laughs> the pains of new life. <laughs> well, today we uh, today we are going to be discussing uh, from our Lent devotional that we put together this year, the Redemption of Babel. We're going to be talking about the city of Rome and the city of Babylon uh, and the book of Revelation. Ooh, scary uh, stuff. And st- stuff that a lot of people are, are not comfortable with, but that's what we're going to do. <laughs> well, uh, one of the um, most fascinating things to me about this is the power of metaphor. And I bet, Michael, as someone in music, you know a lot about that. I mean, just the, you know, we've get, we get this picture of the great prostitute, the city. And, you know, there are certain metaphors, particularly ones like that, that I think can be harmful, you know, if sure. you take them the wrong way. But um, this is a very powerful metaphor for the time and for the audience that was hearing it, right? This idea of unfaithfulness and how we are pulled away from God. You know, we're in this covenant relationship with God and we are seduced away. Um, it's just, it's, it's a powerful metaphor once you get down to the you yeah. know, the base of it of what it's really trying to say well in addition to metaphor i think one of the other huge parts about this story and james you touch on this a lot in different ways in the devotional writings for this week is the historical context in which mm. that metaphor is understood yes. and heard and now today read mm-hmm. um the idea of this being you know understood by people who lived through exile or, or not maybe they didn't live but mm-hmm. a culture that experienced exile yes, yeah. and what that means for us today uh what it meant for the jews and jewish christians uh, hearing these words from john and revelation at yeah. the time uh, is is all it, it adds to the metaphor itself as the historical context right right and just to let everyone know we're, we're talking about um the revelation passage that starts with revelation 17 and we mm-hmm. jump around in 18 as well um, but this idea that uh, John, in, through this revelation, he is describing, he's describing Rome as Babylon. And he is talking about how Babylon is this, is this prostitute uh, that seduces people away from faithfulness to God. Um, <clears throat> Babylon is a, is a city that casts a huge shadow over most of the Old Testament and some of the New Testament as well. It really, you understand Babylon in Scripture to be almost like this this spirituality of unfaithfulness you know or at least a threat of unfaithfulness of of being seduced away from uh, as you were talking about elizabeth away from um 
the faithfulness to God and, and committing adultery with the world, I guess, it basically is the way that he talks about it here. Um, we, Michael, you and I were talking beforehand about this idea of being in exile. Yeah. And uh, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I would say that we today live in a very similar situation. I think that the early Christians did in the sense that culturally, uh, we live in, in a new Babylon. Um, and this is something that I, I wrote in the devotional, but it's something that I think a lot of Christians have drawn back to over the course of 2,000 years. Any power, any cultural power that glorifies itself rather than God is Babylon. And so the, the, the issue is, you know, we as Christians are under the same threat of intoxication and seduction away from a faithful relationship with God. And we were talking about this a little bit before, mm-hmm. um, and this kind of being in that that mind space. Yeah. Um, I, w- I don't know. What do you? Let, let's let's dive yeah, into. Yeah, I, I I think beyond any specificity of, uh, you know, as as you've even put it in your devotional, Atlanta or America mm-hmm. as as question marks. I think the broader implication of exile, especially as the way as it's described in Revelation, and also as in Peter, you think you referenced yes, as well. Yeah. Um, during this week is that it's any culture that is anything other than the kingdom of God. Yeah. Uh, the, the notion that the language of kingdom itself would have been shockingly revolutionary to, to, to the people reading this at the time. Think yeah. Anything beyond Rome. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's necessarily writing specifically just at Rome or just at Babylon or for us today, just at America yeah. or even broadly the West. It, it, right. it is anything beyond the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's good. Um, I, I think, of course, that has implications for what does that mean for us today? Uh-huh. And, yeah. and and there are, I, I do think that there are some specific uh, parallels between Rome and America that should give us a little bit of pause, mm-hmm. particularly around the notion of um, peace uh, mm. of the empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I mean that kind of in, in a positive way, of course, yeah. but uh, the, the notion of, um, Rome being an empire that was so feared that it sort of caused, you know, this, this multi-hundred-year peace yeah. on yeah. Earth mm-hmm. um, through its military strength. Mm-hmm. Mm. That sounds like something else that we have today. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and that's, that's not an inherently bad thing, but it is a, a particular parallel that we can draw on absolutely. between culture and, and between time. And you can compare that with... Um, the kind of peace that is that is instilled or, or brought with the kingdom of God is it's not it is it's the same kind of peace in a sense, but it, it's it's not created the same way. It's not, yeah. or at least that's not what God wants, right? It's not God. Mm-hmm. It's not a fear of God's might and power. Well, we have to remember that all of the Old Testament, or excuse me, all of the New Testament was certainly the Old Testament <laughs> as well, but all the New Testament was not written at a time when Christians were anywhere close yes. or adjacent or in power. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, especially today in the West, in America, those of us living today have at least experienced moments where Christianity was power adjacent or in power itself. Yes, yes. Uh, it, in, in some ways, the whole conversion of Emperor Constantine oh. <laughs> is both the greatest uh, gift and biggest problem that Christianity probably ever yeah. faced that we continue to live with today. Yeah. The notion that Christianity could spread um, because of the peace of Rome. Yeah. And in the same way, because of the peace exercise, let's call it by a, a American hegemony across the world, mm-hmm. the gospel can spread. Yeah. And yet, 
that power is also one of the biggest corrupting influences on faith and culture, especially when it begins to slip away. Yeah. I just heard a survey literally today. Uh, Protestantism in the United States now stands at 37% of the culture. Uh, unaffiliated, the whole nun category, yeah. is at 25%. Oh, wow. Just 15 years ago, uh, the Protestant population of America was in the 60 percentile. Right. So we're talking about a huge drop. And the notion of what that means for us today is very different because we are used and accustomed to the notion of, again, being at least power adjacent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everything written to us in the New Testament in that regard is actually foreign. Yeah. Because the New Testament didn't experience any of that. Yeah. Uh, Paul didn't. Peter didn't. John yeah. didn't. Yeah. Um, and, and so an exilic understanding is probably more important for us right now yeah. than it has ever been, even just in the three of our lifetimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one of the best stories, Old Testament stories, that I've encountered or sort of been revitalized with a little bit recently is the story of King Josiah. Mm. Okay. Um, Old the boy, Testament. The boy king. Uh-huh. And one of, in some ways, one of the last kings, not the last king, but one of the last kings before the Babylonian yes. sacking of Jerusalem, which yes. you mentioned here on in Monday's mm -hmm. lesson. Yeah. Uh, and I looked this up before I came to the podcast so I could have be somewhat informed. So, <laughs> jo jo Josiah died in 609 BC, mm -hmm. the sacking, the well, the first sacking of Jerusalem. There, there are two. There are the, two first, yeah. the first sacking is a 597. That's right. Yeah. So it's pretty close. Mm -hmm. um, but when Josiah was king, uh, his heart was softened toward God, and he instructed sort of a cleaning and reconstruction of the temple and, mm -hmm. and, and we'll know a lot of that story. My favorite part of that story is the, the, the discovery of the scroll, the yeah. discovery of the law. The law. Yeah, and like, cool. what, what is this? And we, what in the world? And this huge revitalization. And at the same time, this realization of, oh my goodness, destruction is coming. Yeah. Yeah. And we may not be able to stop it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, by the time that Josiah is killed and then his sons are installed sort of as vassal kings, mm -hmm. ultimately Jerusalem does fall. Yeah. And 10,000 people are trucked off mm -hmm. to Babylon. Well, fat, keep, keep fast forwarding the story and think about, okay, what are the seeds planted in Josiah's time? Realizing our culture is gone, our generation's gone. What what do we do now? What what what, do, what seeds do we plant? Yeah, mm -hmm. the grandchildren of that generation are Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Mm. Ah, mm. and mm -hmm. and the, and which is just as shocking of a story, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. and, and the, the notion that what we do now in the midst of a culture that we read and go, oh, destruction is coming. Yeah, what 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 do we do? Um, we prepare Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and that that has been a real sort of, for me personally, a real shift in trying to understand place and culture, faith and culture, faith in this time, um, is thinking about what's the impact, yeah. not trying to s s save the culture for Christ, right. which is like the old, that that's the sort of language I would have grown up with, yeah, right? Yeah, me too, yeah. Um, that's not what we're actually called to. Yeah. Um, which is kind of disorienting. <laughs> it, it, in a lot of ways, I think what you're talking about is, is kind of the mindset that Jeremiah took, yeah, right? The prophet absolutely. Jeremiah. And, and the idea that when we look around as Christians, a lot of Christians begin to panic about 
we have lost the culture. We've lost our way. We've lost our identity. And we're trying to participate in these culture wars really is what's going on. Rather than trying to look at this generationally, like you're talking about, and how Jeremiah was like, look, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to. This the, the soil is is fallow. It's not dead. And this is a time of working the soil and planting the seeds that are going to that are going to grow into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, and I, and I that's think, a different mentality. That's a whole, yeah, whole different way of thinking about it. I, I, I think the, the implication, the, the, the message we get from that is we don't, we don't win the, the, the culture through that war, through, the, right. through power. We win the culture through people. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, um, the, the notion that you sort of set here in terms of, uh, I'm forgetting which day you talked about this, uh, needing to go get back to uh, to making gardens where do you talk about oh, that? i think it's friday. friday is that friday yeah um yeah you close by saying who's ready to do some gardening <laughs> uh, and, and the the one thing i just put a little asterisk and say in addition to is to say that all of our churches all of our homes to a certain mm-hmm. extent needs to almost be little consulates or embassies uh-huh. for, you know for for the kingdom yeah. Uh, yeah i i think that is again that exilic um notion of yeah. This is sacred, set apart ground. Um, it's not. Ne- it's not meant to stand against the culture. I, you 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 put this beautifully, saying, "How are we to respond? Do we try to escape the culture, separating ourselves in the name of purity, or do we dive deeper in, assimilating with the culture in the hope that we can introduce some level of peace and order?" Jeremiah and Peter would not be happy with either option. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fantastic. It's the tension, right? Yeah. We have to live in that tension. And yeah. we, this theme keeps coming up for me. Like, um, you know, we need a deepening down at the same time that we need an opening up, right? Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. deepen down into these, um, th- this tension of what it means to live in this world, right? The wonder of God um, versus the difficulty of going against the grain and creating this this pocket, like you're talking about, these pockets of peace that yeah. radiate. Um, well, and James, earlier in the week, you mentioned, this is on Wednesday, you mentioned that Babylon ultimately finds her foundation in each of our human hearts. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's as much a part of the tension as anything else, is that we realize that um, our exile is not just in terms of how we are in the culture, it's exile in regards to our posture to our former selves. Mm. Um, and and I, I think that word posture is, is huge as a part of this whole conversation. What, yes. what, is our, what is our posture with each other? What's our posture with the, the culture? Um, I don't think we're called to antagonism. Right. I don't think we're called to a capitulation. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, called, we're called to something different, and that yeah. is called to this exilic yes, uh, identity. Mm. Yeah. That's really good. Now, I'm curious, though, were you, were you reading that Josiah passage because you're in the midst of a renovation on yourself here at the, at the sanctuary? Are you, no. <laughs> have, you guys, have you guys found any book of the law over there? No, but I'll let you know. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be what awesome. is this, a Bible? It would be awfully handy. <laughs> Here's a guidebook. Here's how to do right. it right. <laughs> That's oh, man. So you, you just mentioned that posture. Uh, that that terminology of posture and that kind of thinking about posture can you can you expound on that a little bit like what do you what do you you say that's kind of an important way to to address this i'm curious as to what you what you mean by that i I think an easy way to start there is to talk about our own humility 
in, in conversation, of course. Um, but I think in addition to that, a willingness to listen, um, including to um, those that are opposed yeah. to who we are, what we think, what we believe, um, what we even are talking through and wrestling with yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that that is a huge posture that I struggle with a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in my own life it is one that wants to pause and listen, that that's not my first instinct right, right. Um, ab- about anything. Um, and I think that is, that's the beginning of a part of this. Um, I, th- I think the a broader posture is understanding that, um, and you've talked about this in different ways in the past as well, James, but the notion of where is our citizenship? Yeah. Um, and, and that's, again, not, not to deny, um, you know, the, the reality of who and where we are, right. you know, locationally, geographically, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, for anyone for around anyone, the world, right. yeah. um, but to understand that we have a deeper allegiance. And that gets, again, back to some of this language of kingdom of God, the, the, the notion of Christ, yeah. you know, instituting a kingdom would have just been this, you know. It would have, yeah. So it's a controversial topic. It's what got a lot of them killed. Exactly. Right. I mean, that's, um, that's exactly right. And, and but Rome was also confused because when they went to go kill the Christians, many Christians said, "Great, <laughs> let's go." Yeah. And Rome was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> um, and, and and now, I'll I mean I'll speak for myself. Yeah. If if Rome air quotes, whatever Rome is, whatever it is. <laughs> yep. um, if Rome came after me, would I be willing to go? Great. I'll die. <laughs> You're right. I, I don't know that right now that I can honestly answer. Yeah, yes. No, I, I think I'm supposed to. Right. And I'm not saying that out of some holy obligation. I'm mm-hmm. saying, I, I think that's what the Bible teaches us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that's a, that's a scary calling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it is. Because suddenly, you know, I, you know, I think we're comfortable discussing the philosophical, the- theological concept of dying to self right. and living to righteousness. Yeah. But what yeah. does um, that actually but, look like on a Tuesday uh, yeah, morning? Yeah. <laughs> and furthermore, what happens when we're called to actually die more to self, but to die, die? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Just to die. Yeah. 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 Well, Michael, let me ask you about this, because this is, this is something that I'm interested in, particularly with what you do. Uh, here at the church and, and how you have... You mean you want to talk about music? Yeah, I do. Okay. I do a little bit. I do a little bit. So one of the ways in which we are culturally influenced is through music. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ways that the church has traditionally been influenced by culture and has influenced culture is through music. Mm. Um, I, don't know how to, I, I don't know how to ask this question exactly the way to make it clear, but the relationship between culture and church as is mediated through music. That's the topic I'm, I'm, one, I'm interested in. Um, it, most music until, you, until relatively recently in the history of humanity has been church music, it seems like, particularly in the West anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, what, is, what is that relationship? What does that relationship mean to you, I guess, is, is one of the questions I would ask. Like, so I'm, I'm going to start my answer in a very odd place. Good, so good. Bear, bear with me as I journey through Excellent. this. Um, so there's a Middle Eastern historian, or well, he's an American, but he's a he's a historian of the Middle East okay. named Bernard Lewis. Um, and a lot of people are shocked when I start answers about sort of music philosophy with a 
professor and historian of the Middle East. <laughs> named Bernard uh, Lewis. <laughs> named Bernard Lewis, yes. Um, but he has a really interesting uh, concept around music and the arts in particular, mm-hmm. or arts broadly, but music in particular, as it relates to culture. Yeah. Um, that I've just glommed onto as it relates to things, including church music, which is that music is oftentimes the most personal and most unique um, aspect of art to any given culture. And you can take that all, you can take that down to the smallest subculture unit that you want. So not only is it the most unique, but it's also the last for any newcomers to assimilate. Okay. Uh, And I, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. I think that's why we so quickly are able to pass judgments on, on, that, on other music that we yeah. hear, whether it's, uh, and the reality is when anytime we hear a, a quote, other music, it is another culture that right. we're encountering. Mm-hmm. So then you can um, talk about like as genres, maybe like country, hip hop, you know, uh, the reason I think we're able to pass, you know, by, by the snap of the finger, um, judgments on it is because we're, we're, we're encountering something that is very foreign. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's something that's very unique to a specific culture. Mm-hmm. And it's therefore the last thing that we come to understand. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and as a result, you know, there are even, there are different musical systems around the world. Obviously Western music has come to dominate the globe, but it's yeah. not the only system of music that exists. So that's sort of where I start, okay. start, start yeah. my answer um, to how does music uh, influence uh, it's deeply embedded mm-hmm. into any given culture. Well, I was going to say it's uh, music is an embodied experience. Mm-hmm. That's what was I was thinking about as you were talking, like especially I mean, singing because it is literally utilizing the the physicality of the body. Right, that's what I mean. Sound. You're yeah. you know it's your mind you know can think and meditate on the words that are being said, but your body feels rhythm. And you know if if you are participating in the creation of music, it takes your whole body. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, the creation of music th- through song in particular is, uh, is a command in, yes. in, in scripture. It, it's, it's not a uh, sort of a worship suggestion. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's actually the, the most repeated command in scripture. It's the sing praises. Yeah. Sing unto the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, we have to take that seriously as yeah. well. Uh, there's no real way to know what music would have been like at you know, at the time that the Old and even New Testament was written, uh, in part because there weren't a lot of musical systems yeah. uh, developed yet. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that Western music has been able to sort of gift the world is the notion of music notation, mm. um, which is part of why it has stuck yeah. so, for so mm. long. Yeah. Um, but even in terms of uh, music... In the church, you mentioned church music kind of was the only music. Yeah. I think that's in part because churches were the dominant cultural hub, Yeah, in, yeah. especially in the West. Um, and of course, you have different moments, especially through puritanical thinking and uh-huh. different reform branches where music was viewed with a lot of suspicion. That starts all the way back in Augustine, yeah. uh, where uh, Augustine viewed music with a lot of uh, skepticism because of its emotional power. Right. D- directly for the yeah. reason that we talk about its strength, and it is a strength, but Augustine knew even back then. Yeah. Th- th- this be is, we have to be careful with this. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, to, to the present day, when it, you know, there's still, you know, ne- nearing 100 years later, there is still controversy around some uh, late 19th century German composers 
because 40 years later, their music was loved mm. by the Nazi party. Mm. Right. And so then you've, you've got some music still that has the, the stain of simply somebody who liked it, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and that exists to the present day. Um, and again, encountered as an other culture, yeah. Uh, yeah. a setting of music. As we, as we think about music as it's used today in the church, we have two different kinds of services here at the church that use radically, not radically, but different kinds of music um, that are inspired by different ways that they're trying to evoke emotion or, or connect sure. to spiritually, uh, yeah. the spirituality. So Augustine tells us that, you know, we need to, we need to be careful with this and we mm-hmm. need to be mindful of how we're, how music is being used, particularly in worship or in the life of the church. Um, how do we do that? Like, what, what is it that... Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people have attempted at answering that in different ways, and I'm certainly not going to have a perfect answer to it right now. But I will offer one word, which is uh, that I think most people can agree on, which, or I would hope, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is we have to uh, look toward order within worship. And now, granted, a lot of people take different liberties with... Right what that means, uh, which is part of why I'm just trying to sort of set it out there and this and, and, and let yeah. people interpret it as, as they will. Yeah. But I, I think order is, is sort of the, the beginning uh, of, of that answer for me. That makes anyway. a lot of sense. Yeah. Because the, the reality is in different ways t- today uh, across different worship styles in the West, uh, we are all products and producing still music that is music of empire. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's difficult to truly divorce yeah. our notion of musical style from the culture. Um, I, it's interesting, right? Right now, this week, I am singing in the Saint Matthew Passion by Bach with the Atlanta Symphony, mm. which is written for Good Friday. It's an accounting of the entire Passion of Christ from the Gospel of Matthew, interspersed with reflective hymns, basically yeah. Yeah. Uh, throughout. Uh, intended for a church service. It's about three hours long. Wow. Uh, and yet, it's being presented on a secular stage of music. Yeah. It completely divorced from its setting and context that it was intended to of church. Wow. Mostly in part because very few churches could attempt doing this piece. That's part, that's part of it, yeah, <laughs> just, sure. yeah. just practically. But that, that's, a, that's flipping the notion of music and empire on its head in some ways. It really is. Um, in the same way that we look at, well, what does it mean for us to do music in the church? Um, what should our sources of music be? What should we be producing? What right. does it mean for us to do a concert? What does it mean for us to do a service? Um, how we engage this philosophically as of empire mm-hmm. is is a tricky tricky notion well and that's that's to kind of bring it back around to what i wanted to ask next which is we've talked about the importance of kind of having this exilic mentality and, yeah. and exilic kind of faith you know what role does music in the church uh help us to either live into that identity or or can detract us away from that identity well we know certain words, not songs, of course, or not, not tunes, but we know certain words that we will be singing in heaven, in part because of the book of Revelation. Right. Mm-hmm. That there, there is some language that we inevitably are going to have on our lips for all of eternity. Yeah. And I think that's a, probably a decent place to start. <laughs> sounds, that sounds about right to me, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the notion that worship services in that regard 
in their own small way. You talk a lot about how they're all mini Easters. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. One additional element, though, is that they're all each a rehearsal. And I spend a lot of my time oh, in rehearsal. That's cool, yeah. Whether it's choir rehearsal uh-huh. here, choir rehearsals at other <laughs> places outside of Northside. You're rehearsing but a lot. Each Sunday morning is a rehearsal. Oh, for that's heaven. really cool, yeah. yeah. And in, in that, whether it's tuning our voices or tuning our hearts, yeah. you know, we're, we're getting ready for an eternal worship service. Yeah, that's good. I like that. And that's one of the things that I think we've talked about before, um, certainly have mentioned before, is that one of the things that we're doing on Sunday morning when we come together and worship and sing, like we are doing something that is incredibly countercultural. Yeah. Like we, are, we are proclaiming Jesus Christ as King, which a lot of people here take as uh, a lot of Christians have kind of weakened that idea to the point where it's just a metaphor, Jesus is King, Jesus is King of my heart, or things like that. But the, we're actually proclaiming him as king of the universe. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in juxtaposition or in con- not conflict maybe, but in, as opposed to other kings and other powers, including the Rome or Babylon that we live in now. Um, and it, that's something that is very, I think, something that we should keep in mind as we gather together on Sundays. You, Absolutely. You want to say something? Well, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about emotions and ranges of emotions in relation to music. Hmm. So music, it's another right embodied part of Absolutely. music is the ability to capture emotion. And I wonder if a danger, right? We're talking about, you know, Augustine talking about how this could be a dangerous thing is to get so lost. And what you just said, James, so numb to this idea of praise and proclamation that it no longer means anything. And so a gift that we have through music yeah. is to express and experience a range of emotions. Yeah. No, what, what you're getting at is I think an age old problem uh, that is very present today, which is what happens when we begin to worship a creation instead of the creator. Yeah. Um, ultimately, our worship should not be um, a, an emotional exercise of the art itself, uh, mm-hmm. get, getting caught up in the emotional energy that music inevitably does. I mean, I experienced that in my own life a lot, but but getting wrapped up into where and to whom is this pointing us? Yes. Um, and I think it is easy in, in not just broader culture, but even within the church to get so wrapped up in, oh, this is such beautiful music. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and, and of course, I mean, I, that's what I try to do on a weekly basis, <laughs> like beautiful music. Yes. But, but it is, is the point the beautiful music or is it the beautiful creator? Yes. And, and how, how and when and where does it point us uh, appropriately to God and to Christ. I think that's a really good point. Um, I like that a lot. That's worth thinking about. I was talking about it in the sense of um, only expressing ourselves in music through joy and praise. Uh, it's a good thing. It, yes. That is wonderful and that is appropriate. But there, and are, that more, is, there are more But emotions. I was thinking so... Are there um, other emotions? What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I was thinking about uh, this morning, so um, one of our artists on staff, graphic designer artist, she did um, a series for us for the Monday Thursday service, series of artworks, and I created... Um, like a stations of the cross in a, in a sense, like it's supposed to lead us to the upper room, which is where the Monday Thursday service takes place. Right. That's the experience. Mm -hmm. And then lead us out of it from the upper room to the cross. And she created this series of artworks. That's going to help us walk that. And she Mm, talked about how they're beautiful, by the way, I saw them for the first time this morning Mm -hmm. and it was, I was blown away, but, um, 
Gay, who is our artist, she's typically a very happy person. You know, she's just my little butterfly and she's always so joyful. She's always got a big smile on her face. But she talked about how she had to go to a dark place to connect, right? It's a dark story. Yeah. yeah. The story of our God, right? Like being crucified, it's dark. And she had to go to a dark place mm-hmm. in order to connect with that experience and that emotion yeah. and what that scripture was trying to say. And so I, mm. thinking about that in the sense of music, right? I know, Michael, you know, you pick specific hymns we do different things during lent during this season of repentance and you know deep thought and reflection and um music that's not particularly joyful always right you know that's appropriate on sunday it's appropriate on easter but i think i've heard either as you or joshua say like you intentionally like tamp down some of these things that when we do get to easter that big triumph you know that joy is poignant because it's that's not what we always experience right we got to walk through the dark stuff too Mm -hmm. and i was thinking about music's ability to help us do that yeah and you know we have a kind of a unique opportunity you know the, the Lenten Easter calendar falls different every year mm-hmm. uh, and this year Palm Sunday and at Northside we typically um, meld Palm and Passion Sunday we, we yeah. celebrate them both yeah. in terms of how we deal with it liturgically how Bill often preaches his sermons yeah and we have the unique opportunity this year with uh, Palm Sunday being a communion Sunday uh this year and so we're Mm. going to hear the triumphal entry that the choir is going to start with a big hosanna introit uh we're opening him as hosanna lot hosanna on palm sunday um and then by the time we get through bill's sermon we have christ the victim Mm. and then we go into communion Mm. Wow! And yeah. so this is a more unique Palm Sunday for for me, and even as from a planning yeah. standpoint, that that we uh, don't always get, but it's a special opportunity. And that is this Sunday, right? This coming Sunday, Palm Sunday. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so that's for Palm Sunday. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I was, was going to do: is invite people to come join us on Sunday. Michael, thank you so much for being here today, and Elizabeth, thank you as well. And guys, thank you we, for being here, James. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know what? You're welcome. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Thank you.